0: Like Richard was saying, you'll be out here on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. I want you guys to come join me. It's going to be fun. Just put on your grubbies, you know, some, and, and come and have fun. We're, we just have a lot of little things we need to take care of around the building here. And it'll just be 9 till noon. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Ben, Thank you, everyone. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to two locations. Well, I might say three, but I have two up here on the screen. Matthew 25, 1 and Revelation 19:6 jot those down also or find them in your bible leave that up there for a few minutes so that everyone can find it also today my my sermon it's actually a little more of a bible study so so I do have an additional passage that we're going to be kind of talking through. Not kind of, but definitely talking through. And if, you, I, if you'd like to look that up also, to follow along in your Bible, to highlight a few things, that's going to be Hebrews 6, 7. So I'm going to follow it in this order, Matthew 25, 1, Hebrews 6, 7, then we'll hit Revelation 19, 6. Get those down. Again, that one that's not on the screen is Hebrews 6, 7. Also, uh, during the month of October, I'm going to be launching a series of messages called Faith accelerator. Faith accelerator. I'm going, talk, I'm going to be talking about how to punch the accelerator regarding your personal faith and, and how it works. So I'm excited about that. have been working on developing that series of messages for quite a while now and excited to begin to launch that here in a couple of weeks. You know, I really believe, I really believe that Jesus is coming soon. I do. I really do. One of the things that I, I tell you this almost all the time, but it's part of my life now since my dad passed away back in January and I have the treasury of his sermons that are all handwritten. I I customarily read through a sermon and there's one sermon I just keep coming back to and I've read it over and over each night before I go to bed and it's a sermon about the return of Jesus and and I remember my dad was passionate about the return of Jesus saying be ready be ready be ready be ready and in many ways that's what I'm talking about today because I honestly believe the return of Jesus is soon I believe there is a time and and we may all get to see it it may happen before the end of this day and if so I'm going to be pumped about that but Jesus Christ will arrive in the clouds, and it says the whole world will see Him. He's going to arrive in the clouds, and it says that the Scripture says that, that we who are the, the followers of Christ, those who have been washed in His blood, we are going to literally leave this earth. We're going to rise from this earth and meet Him in the air. And it, it says even the people who have died first, are, their graves are going to be open. And I don't know how all that works out. I don't understand the physics of it, but God's the one who created physics, so he can, he's can. he got it all under control. But, uh, but it even says the sea will give up their dead. So I don't know how that works, but God will make it happen. And if God can create the universe out of nothing, he can do that. But it says the dead in Christ are going to rise first to meet Jesus in the air and then we are going to immediately be with him. But it's going to happen in a moment like in a twinkling of an eye and Jesus is going to come. And then this, this earth is going to go into a period of tribulation like, like they have never seen before. This season of tribulation that we're seeing is nothing compared to what's coming. And I still believe there are a lot of bumps that are ahead. But, but, but what will happen after the return of Jesus Christ is going to be unprecedented. Scriptures say that it will be a time like, like this world has never seen before and will never see again. The return of Jesus is close. The signs are everywhere, church. And I want us to keep that in our hearts as we, as we walk through our daily lives. But you see, Jesus is returning for a glorious church, a glorious church. And uh, the question that I pose is, how can we be full of the glory of God so that we're ready to meet him when he arrives during this season of crazy turbulence? the season of insane uh, just activities that are happening all around us, and, and things that just keep, it seems like day after day, after week, after week, after week, and, and you know, whether it's the economy, or COVID, or the government, or whatever, it just seems like things are, are just rumbling all around us. Well, I do not believe that the church of Jesus Christ is going to fade into obscurity, before the return of Christ, I believe that the, the Church of Jesus Christ is going to be shinier, brighter, more bu- more beautiful, more brilliant than ever before, than ever before. I believe that with all of my heart, and we are going to be differentiated from the world. And I, I believe that the time is upon us where, where we are going to be very, very we are going to be seen and perceived as very separate and very dis- distant or different from. The culture of the world, which is a good thing. Actually, it's prophesied that that's what is going to happen. I believe we're in the season where that's beginning to to happen. So today I'm talking in this third part of my series called The Glorious Church. I'm talking about the term intention. Intention. This is the third part of the four-part series. Next week I'm going to be concluding this series. But I'm talking about four key traits of the church, even traits that make us as a church distinct. We talked about legacy and influence, and today I'm talking about intention. I mean, what makes us unique? what makes us prepared to be a glorious church because again when Jesus comes he's looking for a glorious church now i shared with you at the beginning of this series a couple of weeks ago in ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 it says this it says and to present her to himself her rep- representing the church us a radiant church see that word radiant that's, that's actually the term glorious. I prefer glorious, all right? But it says, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Again, so radiant is a good word, but... I prefer the term "glorious." In the King James version of the Bible, it's used a "glorious church," and I like that because it speaks not only of radiant, it speaks of brightness, but glorious is even more than that. And that's actually uh, more actually to the original language that it was written in. That term "glorious" is "indoxus," which means glorious, radiant, gorgeous, honorable, esteemed, splendid, illustrious, clothed in glory. So. So in other words, we are to be a church that doesn't just blend into the culture. We live in the culture of this world. That's We're supposed to live and be active in it. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be owning our cultural streets right out there in the, in the world, active in the world, but not of the culture of the world. And, uh, and that means that we act, we think, we behave, we speak, we look different than the world. And more and more of that's going to become more pronounced in the days ahead. Now, I did assign you guys some homework on the first part of this series. Just want to remind you of that in case you've missed it. Read Ephesians chapters 4 and 5. Write that down because that is actually, Ephesians 4 and 5 talks all about what the glorious church looks like. So I want you to read that and study that and ask God, what can I do to be more like this? But I want you to think of it like a wedding. You see, the church as it's described here in the Bible over and over, is likened to a bride. And Jesus is likened to a groom. Now, when Jesus removes us from the earth, the Bible talks about how we are going to go to something called the wedding supper of the Lamb or the marriage supper of the Lamb, and and many believe, and that we don't really know exactly how it's all going to play out because prophecy, you never really know exactly how it's going to work out. But I believe that it's a seven-year celebration in heaven when everything is being destroyed here in this earth under the rule of the Antichrist. That we are actually having a seven-year banquet with Jesus, a celebration, a festival that's just going to be fantastic and wonderful. And I can't wait for that. But, uh, but, but it says that when Jesus arrives, he's going to be looking for a glorious church, which is likened to a bride. Now, I remember my wedding day very well. I remember it so well. It was July thirtieth, 1988. And... We were at El Sendero de la Cruz in San Antonio, Texas. You have to say it like that if you, you know. <laughs> this is my wife's church, and, uh, and, and she, had, she had been there. Her dad was, a, was one of the deacons in that church. He later went on to pastor his own church, where he's still pastoring now. And, uh, and it was just a, a wonderful day because I remember in that stately old building, the moment those back doors swung open, and there was my father-in-law, which, yeah, he's fine. But I saw the girl he had in his arms, and she was gorgeous. And I remember I couldn't contain my happiness. I just smiled so big. And the, 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 these words came to my mind. I said, that's, that's my wife. That, that's my wife. I mean, her hair was perfect and her bouquet and her dress. And just, I love this. She was gorgeous. But she didn't just show up that day and boom, it happened. No, no. She spent months with intention to get to that point. So she would look stunning on the wedding day. And I want to tell you guys, intention is what's going to make us ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And intention is actually one of our four core values here at City Life Church, by the way. I just want to tell you a little bit of what it is. Intention says this, we value bold, creative strategies that focus our efforts on possibilities yet unseen. And it's not just something we do around the church. This is something we live out in our own individual lives. So intention simply means the way that we live our lives, we're thoughtful, and we we don't want to meander through life. In fact, in fact, uh, the second part of that statement says this, we choose to resist a haphazard approach to life and ministry. So really, with everything that we do, there's intention. I mean we do a lot of planning and designing of things. We don't want to just haphazardly do things. And I think that's appropriate for the church, but it's also appropriate for our lives. I'm challenging you today not just to be a part of a church that doesn't do things haphazardly because that's, that's part of our culture. But I'm challenging you to not live your life haphazardly. Now, as a child, I had intention. My, my intention was twofold. It was eat and play. It would just eat and play. I didn't even like to sleep. I hated naps. I remember resisting naps and would go lay down on the bed. I was like, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep. So many times I would lay there through the whole nap. My mom would come wake me up later on and say, Okay, are you awake? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm awake now. I never slept. It was just, it was wonderful. But my parents were so demanding on me. You know, they were. They were, they were just demanding. Why were they so demanding? Because they had intention in their hearts, and they were training me with intention. Because they knew that eating and playing alone would get me nowhere in life. So my parents did what was best for me with intention. You know what they—they they, they made me do stuff. They made me clean my room and make my bed. They made me help out and around the house and do chores. My mother even taught me how to do my own laundry. When you turn 16, you do your own laundry. I'm not touching that smelly stuff, you know? I, if I was gonna have clean clothes, I had to learn how to do my own laundry. It was hard. It was a hard life. I had to take baths. Sometimes as a kid, I, I hated that part. Sometimes I would just go in the bathroom and just sit there and just 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 just, just I would just be there and it was it was it was terrible. And, then I'd come out 20 minutes later and say, okay, I'm done. And my mom would look at me and say, no, you didn't. She'd go in there and say, the soap isn't, is still dry. The tub is, doesn't have water in it. So I learned later on, you put a little bit of water in the tub, get the soap a little bit wet, and you still don't have to take a bath. But still, she would figure it out. She would look at my hand and say, I see that grime in your fingernails. You didn't. Go back and take a bath. Well, they made me do things like that. I had to do the dishes, I had to mow the lawn, I had to eat vegetables, I had to prepare offerings for church, I had to go to church, I even had to volunteer and serve in the church. They made me go to school. They they, they made me. Okay, now you think about that. Why all of that stuff? It's because my parents were living lives of intention, and they were getting those concepts into me, understanding that, those, that I would create habits that would pay off once I got into my own life, and most of them did. I think they did, but really, it, it's all about intention. See, we live in this culture. We live in a threefold culture of fast, fun, and easy, and you know we do. Whatever's fast, whatever's fun, whatever's easy, that's what we lean into, and there's a there's this pull, there's this tug to, to go that direction. We all experience it, we all know it, I get it 100%. But there's a huge detriment to living that way if we're not living with intention. When we choose fast, fun, and easy, what happens is the decisions we make are the opposite of commitment, they're the opposite of, of being, being decisive and, and, uh, and having good plans for your life, for whatever, and things go awry in people's lives. In preparation for our wedding day, Rebecca didn't choose fun, fast, and easy. But instead, she was disciplined and she was committed to preparing herself for that big day. And that's exactly what the church is to do as well. God expects us to live with intention. But he says, especially when you see the end coming. And I believe we're seeing that right now, right now. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, the scripture we're going to go to, first of all, Jesus told this parable. And he's comparing two different types of people. And this is a very sobering parable. There, there, there are these people who live with focused intention, and there are some people who are just basically in the culture of fun, fast, and easy. And the, the setup for this was... Jesus was with his disciples, he was alone with them, and the disciples had asked him questions about the end times, what's it going to look like, and so Jesus goes on, he does a lot of teaching, it's called the Olivet Discourse, but he does a lot of teaching and he shares several parables. This is one of many parables he shares with his disciples to explain what it's going to be like at the coming of the Lord. Very sobering passage of Scripture. You know, I, I encourage you to look through Matthew 24, 25, 26. You can read the whole thing on your own. But let's look in Matthew 25, verse 1, as he shares this parable. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Let me pause there for a second explain a little bit of what's happening here. This was the wedding custom. So there would be these ten virgins which were friends of the groom. So these, these would be girls who were friends of the groom. Uh, they, were, they had nothing to do with the spouse. Maybe they were friends of both of them, but they were friends of the groom, and they would carry these lamps. They would have these oil lamps, and they would wait at the door for the, uh, for the groom to come. And as soon as he came, the lamps would illuminate their faces. They would be able to see them. And, if they, and if, so if they had the lamps, if their faces were illuminated, they would let them into the wedding supper, the marriage supper, the, the, into the festival, Okay. So, which is, catch this, this is a parallel to the coming of Jesus, right? It says, five of them were fun, fast, and easy foolish, and five were wise with intention. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, so they expected this thing to happen much earlier, but at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. So Jesus said, therefore, keep watch. Say, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. This is one of those passages of Scripture that is very, very sobering. It's very sobering for me. And, and because I believe that when you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're forgiven and forgiven. You're on your way to heaven, but there's this image here of ten people who were ready and watching, but five of them, half of them, because of their lifestyle of fun, fast, and easy, they just weren't ready, really, when the return came, and they didn't get let into the wedding feast, which represents heaven. I don't understand all that, but I'm just telling you, I want to be on the other side of that. Now, see, the bridegroom came much later than was expected, and they fell asleep. The wise, what they did is, is they had paid the price up front, and that's what I'm calling you to. They lived with intention. They had thought things through. Discipline and commitment led their lives, and it marked their lives. They planned to have plenty of oil and to be ready just in case so they would not miss the bridegroom coming. The foolish, they didn't live with the same type of intention. Again, they were living haphazard. It was the fun, fast, and easy lifestyle for them. And, and after all was sudden down, only half of these, these 10 ladies made it in. The wise actually made it in. Now, there, there are two representations here. One is the oil and the fire. I want to talk about that. The oil, oil throughout the entire Bible represents the anointing. It represents the Holy Spirit. We see that in the Old and New Testament. And I believe that's one. this is one of those places where you can make that parallel. So some had the anointing and carried the Holy Spirit with them and had plenty. Others had had some, but it just drifted out and was yeah. gone. You know what? We can actually... I, like I said, we, can, we, can, we actually do leak the Holy Spirit, if you, if you ever know that. We, we do. In fact, there are times in the scriptures in the book of Acts where people had, were filled with the Holy Spirit. They would come together, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but then they would have to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again to be filled up because the, the, the level drops. And one of the challenges in this generation is don't let that level drop too low. Continue being filled, continually being filled continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word fire is also there because only the ones who had the flames of fire were able to go in. That fire represents the passion, the passion for Jesus that comes as a result of the oil, which is the Holy Spirit. So because of the Holy Spirit's working in your life, there's this passion, there's this fire, there's this intensity. You are different than the rest of the world. In fact, you may be different than other people who call themselves Christians. Don't blame me. That's what the Bible's saying here, okay? There's a parallel to this, and this happened on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were filled with fire which is just the opposite, again, of the fun, fast and easy. So what they were doing is they were gathering together. They prayed together. They sought God together. They worshiped together. It was a perfect atmosphere, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and it says that flames were literally coming off their heads. That would have been crazy, <laughs> crazy to see that, whether it was real fire or whether it was some kind of a spiritual manifestation. I don't know, and I don't care, but again, I kind of wish I'd love to have seen that. that. That would have been amazing, but it was a sign the passion, the fire of God. And they went out of there and they changed the world. 120 people left that place with the fire of God and they changed the world. And that's what God's calling us to as well. That's why I want to say live with intention, church. Pay the price. Pay the price right now. Pay the price to be ready and on fire. Jesus is coming soon. I think it's critical especially in this season the scriptures also tell us that when you see these final days coming all the more you should be gathering together not less don't get together less get together more it's critical that we come together to receive just this outpouring of the holy spirit in our lives to be filled and to be refilled city life night is next sunday evening thank you richard for sharing that but next sunday evening is city life night and that's Really, that's what it's about. In fact, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Sunday night, I'm excited about this. I'm going to take you through a journey through the the ancient tabernacle, the tabernacle that God had designed for his people, which eventually became the temple and all the stations and what they meant. And we're going to literally practice it. It's going to be a wonderful time right here in church at City Life Night. It'll be a time of just receiving from God, hearing the word of God and receiving from God. But it's interesting in that story, though, In that story of the wise and the foolish, the foolish wanted in, but their faces were not illuminated at his arrival. They wanted in, but they weren't alive with the fire. The words that were spoken by the bridegroom are some of the harshest words that are found in the New Testament. Do you realize that? Jesus said, this is what it will be like. And the bridegroom says, Jesus represents the bridegroom, says, I don't... Know you. I, I, I study this and, and I want to find what does that mean? I don't know you. So I, I broke down the the, the the words, and it means this it says, I do not approve of you or acknowledge you as true friends and followers. So it wasn't that he didn't know them like, like I know your face. No, he just says, I don't approve of you and I don't acknowledge you as a true friend or as a true follower. That's serious, guys. That's serious. So what will happen at the return of Jesus? I mean, what is a true follower of Jesus? I want that. What is a true friend of Jesus? I want that. Of course, scriptures also tell us that a true friend of Jesus is actually one who does the will of the Father. So, so we are to live our lives with this type of intention where we are doing the will of the Father day in and day out. And, and what I find is interesting with these ten, 10 versions is they all had the same opportunity. They all had equal opportunity. In fact, it's obvious they even had money to, to go out and buy the oil, so they all had resources, they all had equal opportunity, they all had the whole evening planned out, so, but, but some of them planned, some of them didn't. Now, there's a very similar passage that we find in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7, and I want you to look there now. Now, Hebrews 6, 7 is a comparison of farmland, two different types of farmland. And And the writer of Hebrews is using this as an illustration of two different types of people at the return of the Lord. So when Jesus comes back, there are going to be two different types of people, kind of like farmland. So let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7. If you don't have it in your Bibles, it will be up on the screen. All right, here it is. It says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it. The land represents a person that drinks in the rain. Come on, catch this, catch this. That's often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. So again, that's one type of person who receives the blessing of God. This is the faithful person, all right? Their life is fruitful. And then it says, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Okay, let's d- pause for just a second before we go any further. So these are the same fields, side by side. So so that means they're getting the same weather. They have the same conditions, all the same stuff is happening, but one field is is different than the other field in the way that it's, what it's producing or not producing. There's this land that drinks in rain, and I like that verbiage right there. It talks about drinking in rain, and and as I look through the rest of the scriptures, it basically speaks of of this hunger and this thirst for gathering together for worship and the word. You're just drinking it in. I've got to have it. I need the word of God. I need to be around other Christians. I need to be, be in this atmosphere. I want to drink. Drink in this rain. And, and and what happens when we, as Christians, drink in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit that we get when we come together, what happens is our lives become fruitful. We produce what we call useful fruit. Our lives become a benefit to other people. You see, because we bless others, we don't just bear fruit so we can eat it ourselves. No, we bear fruit so, that, uh, so we can share with others. And so blessing from God flows through us, and then he said the blessing of God is going to come on us. And, th- and that's that whole concept of spiritual saturation. I want you to be spiritually saturated, guys. Very similar to the oil in the lamp. You see in this? Okay, and he also talks about crops being produced. What are the crops that are being produced? Well, as I've studied this, it's simply our actions. So my question to you is, are your actions, are they useful or are they detrimental to the field? Scripture tells us you're supposed to examine yourself. Did you know that? I am not a fruit inspector. I, I cannot inspect the fruit of your life. I can look and I can observe and I might see things or not see things. But you know, when people begin making judgments on those things, that's, that can get a little bit dangerous sometimes. Uh, So I'm not a fruit inspector. I just choose choose not to be. Inspect yourself. Inspect the fruit of your life yourself. Inspect that. And and the question is, are you a blessing from God because of the saturation toward other people or not? See, the warning that's right here in this passage of Scripture is don't be full of thorns when Jesus returns because that's going to be bad for you. Okay, the passage goes on, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Come on, follow with me. It says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, so in other words, speaking kind of harsh here to you, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. He says, God is not unjust. This is good. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Do you know that as you do your works, if you're a believer and you're a follower of Christ, as you do your works, you're going to be not only blessing others, you're going to be rewarded by God in eternity. But you can do all the good works in the world and if you don't have a right relationship with Jesus. Those good works do nothing for eternity. Nothing. Nothing. And that's, that's the difference. But I love this because... He talks about here, he talks about work and love. That's that's, that's loving God's people. That's living with intention, doing the work of the Lord. And there's a key that's there. And then he says, we want each of you to show this same diligence. See that word, diligence? Okay, that should be underlined in your Bible. We show the same diligence to the very end. Okay, that's talking about intention right there. We're going to show this diligence to the very end. Why? (laughs) So that what you hope for, All through the New Testament, when we talk about the the hope, the blessed hope, that's the return of Jesus. So what you hope for, the return of Jesus, may be fully realized. You're going to experience all of this. So he's saying, stay diligent, stick with this, live with intention, Jesus is coming soon, and not only be full of the Holy Spirit and shining and be ablaze with the passion of God, but be serving and helping one another. I'll tell you, in the days to come, the church is going to huddle together and is going to help one another and is going to love one another and is going to be an oasis in a very dark time, and that's going to be critical for us. So as we are walking through these days, let's learn that, let's come together, let's build the relationships, and let's be here for each other. So that we will stick with one another through thick and thin. That's so important, the local church family. I hear so many people saying, "I just don't need that now." I, I, I have my Bible, and I, I can—I have the internet. And I can do that. Well, You know, that's fine. That's a band aid. That—that's—I mean, that'll—that's good. But the Bible says you better—you need to be with other people because that's actually. <laughs> I mean, if you look—if you look at it just based upon Hebrews chapter nine, ship chapter six, if you look at it just like that. Just from there, you, you will see literally that without doing good works for other Christians and working with other believers and come together with them, then you might be a thorny field in the end. It's the Bible, not my, not my words, okay? Look at this. It goes on to say, verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy. He's talking to Christians here. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. <laughs> Laziness. That's right back to fun, fast, and easy. He should. Have, he could have said it right there. I don't want you to be doing this life of fun, fast, and easy. And I know it is fun. And I know it is fast. And I know it is easy. I mean, there's nothing better than fun, fast, and easy. Of going to, uh, going to your favorite drive thru What's your favorite drive thru What's your favorite drive thru You've got to have a Chick-fil-A. Oh, you want to talk about fun, fast, and easy? I mean, come on. And. I like those things. I'm not saying that you have to go to a place where you're going to have to go through agony. But when we build our lives like that, and please don't think you're going to go to Chick-fil-A after church today because they're, they, they're closed on Sundays, okay? Some of you got really excited right there. I know where I'm going for lunch. You're going to go, and it's going to be closed, my friend. You know, just, just to pause for a second, that is a good example of resisting the life of fun, fast, and easy because... Businesses, they want to stay open seven days a week to make more money, but they close on Sunday so people can worship. They take the hard road, and actually, they're abounding. They're doing a good job. I mean, what, what he's saying here is take your cue from the people who have gone before us in the scriptures. This is all speaking about people who live with intention, knowing this, that Jesus is going to return at any moment. Now, I want you to look at this final passage of Scripture in our Bible study today, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Revelation 19, 6. This is another parallel Scripture to these two passages I've already read. And I want to tell you, there are countless other parallels. I just don't have time to get into all of them. But this is another parallel, Revelation chapter 19, 6. This is the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, the wedding supper of the Lamb is what I shared with you about a, a little bit earlier. It begins immediately upon the rapture of the church, and it will end at the second coming of Christ. So, so uh, Revelation 19, 6 says this. And this is John. John is on the island of Patmos, and he's having these visions, and he's seeing things, and he's told to write them down for, uh, for, for us. And that's what we find in the book of Revelation. John says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. In fact, those lines right there, that was the inspiration for Handel's Messiah. So you know that as a, as a, as a classical piece of, of, of very artistic music. But uh, it, it says that as he was writing hallelujah chorus, he took it from this passage right here. And then he, he became overcome with the presence of God and he wept. In fact, there supposedly were like tear stains on his original charts that he wrote out. And it says, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Okay, now look at this next part. And his bride has made herself ready. You catching that right there? The bride makes herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, we're giving her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. See how the scriptures all fit together? This is good. This is good. I mean, just get this. When you walk into eternity, you are going to be clothed with your righteous acts. So what you have done, you're going to be wearing it. You're going to be wearing it. Who's going to be looking good on the day Jesus comes? Come on. I want to be looking good. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that means that you're blessing other people. You're living with love and generosity. You're helping God's people. You're spreading the gospel. You're living a life full of the Holy Spirit. You are God's agent on this earth. Look at that last verse. It says, Then the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. In other words, those who prepared themselves, those who lived with intention day in and day out, they were received by the groom, by Jesus. Here's another way of saying saying it. Those who were full of the Spirit, on fire for God, and were being a blessing to other people are the ones who are blessed as they go into eternity. See, Jesus said this twice in Matthew 24 and in Matthew 25. He said those words, keep watch. I had you say those out loud earlier. Keep watch, keep watch, keep watch. I studied the etymology here of of that that terminology. What does it mean? It doesn't mean just like keep your eyes open. When I was a kid, I was like, yeah, we're going to keep my eyes open. I would have kind of like watched the sky because I was getting ready to see Jesus come. Well, it means something different than that. It means keep awake, be vigilant, be active. Oh, I love that. Be free from infection, death, or inactivity. Whoa! He said it twice. Jesus said it twice in that passage of Scripture when he was saying, what's going to happen at the end? Twice, Jesus said, in two different places, keep watch. Keep watch. Be awake. Be vigilant. Be active. Be free from infection. Free from death or inactivity. In other words, live with intention. So, My challenge for you today, how are you going to implement this into your life? Because at this point, I can't tell you what to do. The Holy Spirit is revealing to you what to do. I prayed before this service that God would begin to reveal to you specifically how you can live with more intention. Because I think every one of us, we can live with just a little more intention. What can you do to live with more intention as you get ready for the coming of Jesus? Spur one another on toward good works. That's what the scripture tells us. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Encourage others. Help others. Serve others. Be bright. Be burning with the passion of God. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. Be a person of bold intention. You got this. You got this. Take another step this week. In fact, the Holy Spirit's revealing to some of you some specific things you need to do. In fact, I'm going I'm to do something a little different. I've done this before, but I, th- I think I mean, you just need to write something down. Maybe send a text message to yourself. Maybe send a tweet to yourself. I don't know. Write something down of a specific that God has been speaking to you about during this sermon. And if he hasn't spoken to you anything yet, just listen to him. Give me about 15 seconds. If you're watching the e-community, write something down that the Holy Spirit is saying to you regarding how you can live more intention. Do that now. Do that now before we pray. I want this church to be a place of bold intention. I want this to be a place where there's encouragement and there's support and there's strength and there's help and there's hope church where people are disciplined with the basics because I'm telling you guys, it will pay off when Jesus returns. It will pay off. It will pay off. It will pay off when Jesus returns in a way that you can't even begin to understand. I I, I, I don't want a dry, stale, uh, lame, parched church that's not keeping watch. I don't want that us to be ready. Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. The church is us. The church is all of us. Will we be a glorious church when Jesus returns in the clouds? I'm going to be part of a glorious church. Will you? Like for us just uh, self-examine right now. Just lock yourself in with God, close your eyes, and first of all, first and foremost, if you're here today, you're hearing this message about living with intention, there's, there's a first step toward this, and if you've not taken the step of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that now, you need to do that now. I'll just tell you this much, there is no accident you're here today, you're hearing this, if your life isn't right with God, and if you're watching online, if you're not in right relationship with the Lord, there's no accident you're listening to this today. God is saying, I want you to be prepared, but you need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. First and foremost, that's the foundation of this. So, looking all across this room, if you're online, respond to one of the moderators and just let them know you're praying this prayer with me. But if that's you today and you're saying, I need Jesus in my life, I want my sins forgiven, would you just... All across this room, lift your hand for me so that I can see it. I want to connect my faith with yours. Just lift it up so that I can see it anywhere in this room. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Anyone else? I want you to pray these words with me. E-community, pray these words with me as well. Congregation, I want you to pray it as encouragement to those who are around you. Pray these words. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. I give my life to you. I ask you now to put your Holy Spirit in me. For I choose today to turn away from my old ways, to live with intention, and to follow you. I want to be glorious for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like first of all stand, and as we we're going to sing a closing song here in just a second. But as we do this, before we do so, I want to pray for everyone else in this room. I want you guys to receive this prayer. Come on. In fact, if you just want to lift your hands, just in a sign of surrender, it'd be beautiful. Just just pray these just receive this prayer. God, I pray your blessing over every person in this room, every person who's watching online. I pray that there will be a hunger for us, a thirst for us, that we will be ready to take in the rain, that we will drink it in. We'll drink in your spirit. We'll drink in the word. We'll drink in the fellowship, God, and that 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 oil of the spirit will be in our lives. We will be overflowing and that that the the flame of God will, will come from us, God, that fire, that passion, that intensity that sets us apart from the rest of the world. And God, let us be about doing righteous, good things for one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, praying for one another, strengthening one another as these days become even more evil. For God, we don't want to be asleep. We don't want to be without oil when you return. God, we want to be that glorious church. We want to be that beautiful bride waiting for you, Lord. And today, we choose. We choose to live this life with intention, no matter what life throws at us. Because this life is brief. Eternity is forever. And we're going to be ready at the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.